Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. This is Brianne Showman, and I am joined today by health coach Arielle Hoffman. Arielle and I had a really good discussion diving into her story and the lessons she has learned from the experiences she has had. Whether you are an athlete, a clinician, or a coach, I think you'll find this conversation highly valuable. So let's tune in. Arielle, thank you for joining me today. How are you? I'm really good. How are you? Thank you for having me. You are quite welcome. I am doing great. Thank you for asking. Um, I'm excited to dive into our conversation today because I think your story and the lessons you've learned from it can resonate with a lot of the listeners, even, you know, coaches, clinicians, and athletes, all everyone. Uh, so I'm excited to dive into all of that. Um, so we'll kind of get started with you and who you are. So the question I love to start with is just, who are you? Who am I? Uh, well, I am Arielle. That's my name. Uh, I have red hair. So I was the inspiration for the little mermaid. Um, I'd like to say, like um, <laughs> anyway, and little kids stare at me in awe when they find out my name. That's awesome. uh, uh, so background, my story, I grew up as a competitive figure skater and ballerina, uh, for the first part of my childhood, I was mainly focused on figure skating. Uh, so intense training competition was very much on track for Olympics, very focused. Uh, so that was a huge part of my life. And dancing was always done alongside it. And, and it helped my figure skating. Uh, and then, you know, as I got a little bit older and reached my teenage years, I made the switch to make peace and end my figure skating career and transition into the dance world as a professional dancer. And so I was with ballet companies. I, and through all that, I, I went to college. I got a degree in architecture, uh, really because I wanted to be more normal. <laughs> and I felt like, cause I, I didn't really have a high school life. So when people talk to me about parties in high school I didn't go to them I don't I didn't even know what that was <laughs> so uh when I went to college I, I wanted a bit more normalcy and studied something very uh well it, it was a good blend of my artistic nature and uh technical side uh which I really loved uh but alongside it I danced the whole entire time and when I graduated I got this brilliant idea to move to New York City and pursue Broadway. And uh, I had always wanted to move to New York. I was actually inspired by, um, what is that? What was that show called? Uh, Felicity. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you remember that. Sorry, I totally just aged myself. Uh, but it's about a girl who grew up in the same town I did and moved to New York and I mean, you can see how I relate. And, but I was just in awe of New York City and I really wanted to live there and did everything I could to live there. So I moved once I graduated 
And I did, I did the whole waitressing thing. I, you know, got an agent, I got gigs and did the whole shebang. And I got close to getting Broadway gigs, but my agent actually ended up sending me uh, on a lot of fitness calls. So commercial print, uh, some videos for fitness related things. And one of those jobs happened to be with a guy named Shanti. And if you don't know who he is, look him up. He has a ton of workout videos. He's been in the industry for a very long time. And I got a couple gigs with him and I ended up in his insanity workouts uh, and insanity asylum. So I was in both of those videos and I did a lot of promos for him too. And he is the nicest guy. Uh, and he really kind of helped shift my perspective when it came to being able to lead a group of people because I had never been a teacher before. And when we were in rehearsals or whenever we were in a large group and he was teaching class, he would always at some point bring me up to the front of the room and say, everybody follow Ariel. And I was just like, what, what do you mean? I don't know how to teach. And it gave me this bug of like, oh, people are following me and I can actually teach. And uh, so it kind of spurred the inspiration to get into personal training and to start teaching fitness classes. And I ended up teaching at a boutique fitness studio in New York City. And it just landed me in this boutique fitness world at the time when boutique fitness was booming. And it was the perfect place for me because it blended my dance background with the training background and then teaching people how to move better. And it was this perfect balance of the things I really loved to do while I was earning a living and still getting to dance and do all of that. Uh, so I, I did that. I ended up uh, that, that progressed into being a co-founding trainer of another boutique fitness studio where I basically came up with 50% of the content for all of their platforms. I trained the entire training team and uh, managed the team across multiple locations uh, and was really happy and doing what I loved. But I was also working out minimum three hours a day because uh, the type of workouts we would do uh, were us performing with them. So whether we were teaching a class or with private clients, we were doing the workouts with them. So my body really didn't get a ton of rest. And after years and years and years and years of doing that, uh, my, I ended up getting injured. And I actually worked on an injury for two and a half years before I did anything about it. And it got to a point where I couldn't walk. Uh, I couldn't walk up the stairs. I couldn't walk to New York City blocks, which are really short. And my husband said, you really have to do something about this. This is really not good. And it affects you in so many ways that you don't even realize Like I was angry all the time. I was, I was just like pissed and just not myself because I was hanging on to this. I was dealing with so much pain 
and it was really, really hard. So with that injury, um, actually let's, let's talk about that injury a little bit. So it was kind of two and a half years that you were dealing with that. Um, were you ignoring it that entire time? Were you trying to deal with it during that time and it just kept getting worse? What was that time period like? So at first I really ignored it. I just did, I did what a lot of athletes do and a lot of dancers do where you just ignore it and you're like, oh, it'll go away eventually or whatever. And then it didn't go away. And then I started, you know, doing some massage therapy. I through some clients, I had access to some really great PTs and acupuncturists and they noticed how much pain I was in. And they said, you need to go see my guy. you like, go, go get some treatment, see if that helps. And I started going to acupuncture, which really helped a lot. Uh, and coming from somebody who was legitimately terrified of needles, the fact that I was going regularly one tells you how much pain I was in and how much relief I was seeking. And I was willing to try these different modalities to help, uh, help mitigate the pain. And so the acupuncture definitely would help, but because I never was able to give my body any kind of real rest, it never got better. And the other thing that was sort of this, running thought in my head was, well, it can't really get hurt worse. It already hurts. So whatever, you know? Yeah. It can always get worse. (laughs) (laughs) I learned. And listen, I had to learn this the hard way. I think, I mean, there, there are so many athletes that come to mind when you think of this, like this passion that overrides this pain that, I don't know, it was an adrenaline rush. People were like, how did you do it? How did you go up and teach? And I said, well, honestly, the minute I started teaching it, I didn't think about it. It was afterwards that was really terrible. That's when I couldn't walk. Uh, Because I do think there's this adrenaline rush that happens that definitely acts as a drug and can help you ignore it. Uh, I mean, I think of what Carrie Strug in the Olympics when she did that. I mean, people think, how the heck how could she have done that? Well, I mean, when you're under that kind of pressure and you want something that badly, the adrenaline can, can help you. <laughs> and then it's a mess. <laughs> right. Exactly. Then you're screwed. But, uh, yeah, so, uh, so I did those few things and then, um, you know, cost was always a, a an issue in the back of my mind, like, oh gosh, if I have to do something, it's going to cost a lot of money. And I didn't really have health insurance for a long time. And, uh, that was a, that was also part of it. Um, and then, you know, I finally had some health insurance. So I was able to go see a doctor and they did an MRI and found, found the chair. And, uh, they also found out that I had what's called hip dysplasia and, that was the root cause of the tear. But anyway, so that that's that's getting into the other stuff. But to answer your question, I tried. <laughs> you did try. You did try. Thank you. <laughs> um 
couple of different directions we could go here. Um, let's talk about first, I think we'll, I want to come back to the root cause conversation and continue your story a little bit now. Um, so you did have a tear, you had hip dysplasia, um, you had surgery for it, if I remember right. Um, what was that like afterwards coming back? Like, was it, um, like how soon, cause give us perspective here just because so many people like, Oh, I had surgery. I'm going to be great in a month and we'll be back to everything. Give me some perspective as far as like what that rehab and recovery process timeline looked like. Yeah. Well, I will go back to then what the causes are. Cause I think that did affect how I felt afterwards. So when I found out I had hip dysplasia, I, you know, I spoke to the doctor about several different options and my choices were, I could do nothing. I could do the orthoscopic repair. I could do this. uh, And I forget the name of the actual surgery. I used to know it, but it's basically where they fix the hip dysplasia, but it's a very, uh, very invasive surgery, long recovery of like a year or more. And or a hip replacement, which I asked about. And I said, you know, we went through all of the options and, uh, you know, the one that actually fixed the cause, that surgery, uh, we decided that because I was in a later stage of my dancing career, that that didn't really make sense. Like if I was younger and I had a long career to go, that that would preserve the hip and that that would be a good choice, uh, that, or a, a choice that I might want to pursue. But we went with the orthoscope, which had a really good prognosis. You know, he gave me the timeline. He had everything written out. So I was very well prepared for what the recovery process would be uh, and how long it would take to get back. And so I felt very comfortable with the decision I made. And I also had a very good physical therapist who was also recommended by the doctor himself. He said she had the same surgery. She was a dancer. So all of these things made me feel a lot more comfortable with having to do it. And then the other thing that helped was speaking to other people who I knew had hip surgeries. And they, they told me that, you know, the pain you're in now is going to be very different than the pain post-op. And you won't have the pain you have now. It's just going to be a healing pain and you're going to get better and that's eventually going to go away. And so that was enough to, again, make me feel more comfortable and at ease with, with having to do this because I think going into any surgery can be pretty scary, especially your first one when you really have no idea what that's going to feel like. Uh, you know, I get very, I got, I was terrified. Uh, for on many levels. Uh, but on the rehab side of it, it was exactly what those people had told me. They said they were right. I didn't have that pain anymore. It was completely gone. Uh, the day after surgery, I started physical therapy. That was the wildest thing to me that I actually got on a bike. I mean, I was pedaling like, like very slowly barely doing anything, but they get you on the bike and they have you move. And I I just thought the whole rehab process was incredible. And I felt really, really good. Awesome. Very cool. Um, so then 
After that was rehabbed, were you back to training like normal? Were you back to like, did you get back to dancing or did you stop that? No. So I, I will go back a little bit too and say that I had to, I made a deal with my doctor and said that I'm not going to do the dancer thing anymore where I ignore you guys and push harder than I should after this. I'm going to listen to everything you say. And I did. I was uh, on point with the PT and because of the knowledge that I have about the body and because of the training, I was able to incorporate physical therapy as I got better and as I progressed. So what I mean by that is even now when my hip gets tight, I still have to go back and do some of the PT stuff that helped my hip back then. Uh, And so yeah, I was getting, I was getting back to normal, uh, feeling really good. And then my knee tore. <gasps> I mean, it was six months into my hip surgery. I was feeling really awesome. I was doing, you know, single leg hops, doing weight bearing exercises on that uh, surgical hip um, and surgical hip on the hip that had surgery. And feeling great. And then my knee decided to just rebel against me and my knee tore. And I was like, what is happening to me? (laughs) Why? Uh, So to answer your question, no, I didn't quite get there. What, um, do you know what the cause of the knee tear was? Do they do they have a reason that they suspected? No, I, I was actually having some knee pain in conjunction with the hip and the doctor thought that that could be related. Uh, and that knee pain never really went away. It was so, it was minor. It was not like anything close to what my hip was feeling like. Uh, it was one of those kind of aches and pains and it would act up once in a while, but it wasn't, uh, a pain that I felt daily. Right. So no, I was on a hike one day and I just started walking down the hill and I thought, wow, that's really odd. That feels really bad. And the good news is the lesson I learned from the hip was this could get worse. <laughs> so I'm going to go to the doctor right now and fig- nip it in the bud. I'm going to figure out what's going on. because I don't want to deal with this anymore. I want my body to be fixed please fix me. Like I'm done with this. So that's what I did. I went, I went to the doctor and they did an MRI. There was a meniscus tear. And the good news about that was he said, you know, bad news is the tear, but the reasons why it's causing you so much pain is it's like the flappy one. And so the only way to really, I mean, you can try to deal with it, but surgery is a good option. Um, And I, at that point, I just said, let's nip this in the bud. I don't want to deal with this anymore. And the recovery from that surgery is way faster. So in I went again. Six months later after the hip, right? (laughs) Yeah. By that time it was like seven or eight months later. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at least you learn from the first time. You don't let it linger because we don't know what will happen then. Yeah. Good lessons to learn. Good lessons learned. 
Let's take a quick break to talk about Power Insole. When I first heard about this product, I was automatically turned off because of the name. I thought it helped support the foot, which was a huge no for me. I quickly found out I was wrong. Power Insole is a two by two gel pad that goes inside your shoe that works on your body's cells to help improve your recovery and your performance. I've been testing this out for a couple weeks now and really am amazed by the results. Like my body just feels better. My legs don't feel as heavy. And one really cool thing is you can put it on an area that's maybe injured or just achy and that pain and stiffness goes away quickly, or at least it did for me, which I thought was awesome. If you are looking for just a simple, easy way that you can enhance your recovery and your performance, I really encourage you to check out Power Insole and give it a test ride for yourself. You can find more information about them and pick up one for yourself at getyourfixpt.com slash powerinsole. And if you use code getyourfix at checkout, you can save 10%. You can also go to my partner's page, getyourfixpt slash partners and find the link directly to Power Insole as well as all my other partners. And now let's get back to the show. What has been your experience with the surgeons, with the physical therapist, kind of with everyone in the medical field that you talk to? Like, I feel like a lot of times you're like, they tell people as far as like, you'll be back to normal in three months, six months, whatever that time frame is. But everyone's a little bit different in how fast they come back. Um, everyone's a little bit different in what they're getting back to. Um, what are some fa- factors that you like just from your experience are not being accounted for when surgeons or physical therapists are telling them like, yeah, you're going to be back in X many months. Well, I think both of those people say different things. So usually the surgeons give you a window of time and they say within, you know, six weeks, your, your knee is going to be better or within this period of time, you should, you should be up and running. Uh, I think it's a bit of a fallacy just because like you said, people are different and it depends on what you want your normal activity level to be for someone like myself walking and just walking is not good enough. That is not my normal. My normal is being able to do and to do things without inhibition and to, you know, as a dancer, I need to be able to kick my leg a certain way and I need to have a certain amount of mobility and flexibility that other people don't need to have. And so with my hip, my hip surgeon works with a ton of dancers and athletes and so he understood that and he was very good at giving me uh, a proper timeline and that laid out a very good expectation for me. In fact, I think I did, I surpassed it and I did better. Uh, With my knee surgery, uh, you know, they said six weeks. Uh, It took me, I would say three months before I was able to do my normal. You know, within a six week period, yeah, I could, I could bike, I could walk, I could, you know, do a, a basic, I could do a normal workout class. It just wasn't the same level that I wanted to be at. Um, And the physical therapist that I 
seen uh, know that, knew that. And when I said, so this is, I came in, I'm like, so I'm going to be good in six weeks. They looked at me and they laughed and they said, well, in six weeks, you'll be able to do X, Y, and Z. And that helped me adjust my expectations because then I, I said, okay, well, at least I know that now. So I could adjust that and I could give myself, allow myself more time. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. Now I know that the knee surgery wasn't the last trauma that your trauma or surgery that your body had in a short period of time. What else was going on after the knee? Well, quite a bit, actually. (laughs) (laughs) A a week after my knee surgery, my husband and I moved across country. So we moved from New York to Los Angeles. Uh, He got a job offer and and we decided to move. Uh, So we uprooted our lives and, and moved across country. And... A few months later, I got pregnant and I had a baby and which is very exciting. However, I ended up with an unplanned C-section, which was my third surgery in 18 months. And that was, that really pushed me over the edge as far as just being really down about it for a very long time. And I knew, like, I knew there wasn't anything more I could have done to prevent that. You know, that as a woman and, you you know, with all the women I've worked with over the years, I knew that it just, it was so disappointing. And I, it was a really tough one to get over. And I almost think knowing too much about the body can work in your detriment because, you know, a C-section is a major surgery. It's a major abdominal surgery. And that one took longer for me to recover from. What did that recovery look like? Cause I like, it is a major surgery. And I think so many times it's just kind of thought of as like just having a baby, just coming out a different way. And so we don't consider it as much of a trauma as what it actually is. So for you, um, like what did that process kind of look like into getting back to activity and like how much, how much trauma is a C-section really on the body? How much, what, how much trauma like is a C-section really on the body or even just pregnancy in general? Uh, well, it's a lot. (laughs) Your body goes through a lot of changes and you know, I'm lucky because, you know, I mean, no, but nothing can do, can really prepare you for your first one. It's just, you know, you, it's a new experience and everyone's birth experience is a bit different. Uh, but one of the reasons why I think the, the C-section was so hard was, and those of you who have, who have kids, any which way, like you understand the importance of being able to hold your baby and, and what that means. And when you have a C-section, it hurts to hold your baby because everything you do involves your core and it hurts. <laughs> it's like, you can't sit up. You can't, you can't really move for a little while. Uh, and, you know, again, you get better each day, but you know, that, that moment that a lot of us women 
want, especially as like a new mother wanting to have that, that bond with your baby, that, that was, that was hard because you don't want to think, oh, holding you hurts me. Like, that's just not, that's not what I pictured having a baby would look like or would feel like. Uh, I mean, of course, I, you have just immense love and all, that's all you want to do is, is hold your, your baby. And if you're breastfeeding and that's another experience. Uh, so that was one thing that was really difficult. Uh, and just, you know, I think my doctor at that point knew my personality a little bit. And actually, she did not give me the clear at the eight week mark. She actually made me wait two more weeks before I could do more than just walk, which I'm grateful for. And I think that that was a good call because uh, I, I needed that extra time. And uh, yeah, so I think there, there's that whole thing too, when doctors give women the clear and how confusing that can be. Yeah. And like, you know, let's dive into that a little bit further. Um, you know, obviously don't go outside your expertise and what you know about it, but uh, yeah. when, when, giving the clear when doctors are giving the clear, um, both from a natural birth and a C-section birth standpoint, like what does that actually mean? Does it mean like you can go back to everything you were doing before, or is it like, let's start easy and then kind of work your way back? It really depends on the woman. And there's a few aspects. One, it depends on the woman and her experience. So let's say everything goes smooth and it, you know, you're, you had a vaginal birth and you healed quite nicely. I mean, people are literally back in two weeks and they can feel fine. Uh, but should they be doing intense core work and all that stuff? I don't really believe so. I, I still don't think the body is quite ready for that. I think no matter how you have a, how you have a child, you've got to give your body enough time to heal. Like all of that stuff that went on in there needs time to go back to normal two weeks is not enough time uh, on that end uh, but listen I mean if if things aren't painful then yeah you can do it but a lot of women still when they're doing higher impact things they still don't feel that does not feel good you feel like things are falling out uh, that is the sign you need to stop doing running or any type of impact for a little while until you don't feel that anymore uh, you know, it's really interesting because in Europe, they are really good at providing uh, postpartum care and postpartum physical therapy specifically for mothers who doesn't matter what kind of birth you have, they, pr- they put you on some type of PT program uh, for that. And for, for both, like I said, any way the baby comes out, they, they do that for you. And it's just interesting because they don't do that for us here at all. Everyone's off to fend for themselves and to find their own information. Um, and as far as the C-section goes, when they give you the clear to exercise, like I, they do that at eight weeks. That, in my opinion, is too soon to return to any type of intense working out or intense activity. Uh, There are so many other things 
that are beneficial to the body than working out hardcore. And also there are other factors, like you're not getting any sleep. <laughs> so maybe your body doesn't even want to move that intensely. You're breastfeeding. There are so many other factors that go into that, that again, you need to, it takes time for a woman's body to return back to normal. I'll never forget this. I'm going to tell a quick story. Go for it. So one of my clients in New York city, I worked with her through two pregnancies before and after. And the first one, when she came back, cause she was anxious, she was a former dancer and now she's a big real estate mogul and very successful. And she was ready to get back in. She just wanted to go, go, go. And I said to her, oh, I should have said a little more tactfully, but you know, looking back, but I said, she asked me how long it's going to take to get back to where she was. And I said, probably about a year. Uh, she looked at me and her jaw dropped and I think she was about to cry. And I realized now that that was probably really devastating, but it does take about that t- amount of time for your body to really get back to uh, a normal that you feel more connected to. Even though other people, you can still look fabulous and you know, you're doing all the right things, but there's something that happens with a woman to postpartum. It's like there are things going on inside that just don't feel the same. And nobody else can see it, but you feel it. And it's just like, oh, that's changed. Is that ever going to go back? And you don't know. Uh, so those are just some of the realities that women have to deal with. And, you know, it's not fun, but it's surmountable. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> if someone, if a woman returns too aggressively or too quickly after or like postpartum, I guess, essentially what things are they at risk of like injury wise, damage wise internally? Like what can happen to the body if they come back too aggressively too fast? Well, the main things that women typically need to be concerned about postpartum are diastasis recti and prolapse. Uh, those are two things that, uh, are really important to address properly. So uh, diastasis recti is the separation of the abs, which happens to every woman because the abs have to separate in order to stretch uh, and make room for the baby. But for some women that doesn't go back right away and it can be, uh, there's different degrees of, of severity. And this happens to be in my wheelhouse. It's one of my specialties. I actually have a program called Ab Rehab for postpartum women, uh, where there are specific things to work on regarding your core, which is your core core muscles, your TBA, your pelvic floor that need to get stronger before you implement any other type of intense core exercises. So no crunches, ladies, none, forget about those. They're not effective. Stop doing them. So if you're in, you know, 
a CrossFit class and the instructor is saying, crunch, 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 please stop. <laughs> unless you're, unless you're really strong and you've already understood you don't have, you don't pooch out, that you don't cone, that that's all taken care of, then okay, you can make, you can do some crunches, but they still have to be done correctly. So there's a lot of ab rehab that has to happen. So I didn't do any core exercises, like real core exercises that people are familiar with or more familiar with uh, until like eight months or so. I was doing my breast technique, uh, really incorporating the TVA with pelvic floor. And then the other thing women should do is, uh, or I typically recommend is being a pelvic floor PP and learning whether or not you have a prolapse to any degree. Uh, and I mean, that's a whole other topic and, you know, but those are important things to address for women and getting those things checked by a professional. So I check, you know, diastasis all the time. Uh, and if it's not fixable by me, then I usually refer out to another specialist, but, uh, yeah, but I think that answered it. It does. And, you know, I don't think we can ever, anyone can mention it enough as far as the importance of postpartum PT. And I didn't know they automatically do that in Europe. That's awesome. Um, but just the more I dive into, I am not a women's health therapist. It's not something I ever wanted to get into, but I know a lot of them and I've learned from them the very importance of like how traumatizing labor and childbirth is and how important proper rehab and therapy after that is. Yeah. And, you know, it all ties back to the other injuries I had, you know, I think it, you know, each time I went through something, I got better at handling it and rehabbing in the right way and adjusting my expectations. So there, there is that. And, you know, the other thing that people don't realize is, especially with, you know, an injury like a hip or knee or ankle, is that if you are doing intense working out and you are, well, I guess even if you're not, I always hear people say, yeah, my, my knee is still not like great or it goes through these phases of being okay and then maybe tight or, I always recommend to do maintenance with PTs. I do. I do once a month with my PT. And every time she does this, uh, you'll know, Brianne, what, what this is. The, the seatbelt where she puts the seatbelt on my hip oh, yep. and she wraps it around. What's that called? I just call it like, hip distraction. Okay. Oh, my gosh. That feels so good. I can't even tell you. It's basically they put a seatbelt around like your groin and wrap it around themselves and they pull out on the seatbelt. So they're basically pulling your hip out of the joint and making it, uh, loosening it up. And it feels really, really good to this day. I mean, it's like four years later. So, uh, she does that and I'm like, Oh, I can walk again. And you know, it's things like that, realizing what, what activities still cause some of that discomfort and before letting it get to anything bad, make sure you're still taking care of it you're still doing returning back to some of those boring exercises you know one of the things I do is I incorporate PT into people's programs without them really knowing it but you know if I know somebody has a back thing or a knee thing or a hip thing there's always some level of of 
a PT exercise in there to help them make sure that they're, they're keeping it strong or they're, they're maintaining that strength in the right way without doing something, without overexerting and doing, you know, the brute strength stuff. So, uh, so that's really important. People need to know that once you have a surgery, once you get injured, never feel bad about having to return to the boring exercise. Do it once a week or, you know, as often as you'd like just to keep up, keep up the maintenance. Really important. Yeah. And I think there, those things are great. Like a lot of times with my athletes, I'm programming those as part of their warm up Cause I'm like, they're just really good for activation. It's like spend five to 10 minutes as awesome. part of your warm up and continue on that way. You're getting it inconsistently. It may be five, 10 minutes a day, but like, that's all you really need to kind of maintain a lot of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's funny because my mom had a hip replacement, uh, a few years ago uh and you know to even to this day she says yeah I, I, my hip is okay it's good but you know I, I think I might have done too much and I said well did you do the exercises I gave you this week go back and do the video I made a little video for her and uh she's like yeah I'll, I'll do it and I'm like did you have you seen your physical therapist and it's a pain in the butt to go see a PT but do it do it it's so worth it it's so worth it. And you feel like you're getting taken care of. And that's really nice. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Ariel, you've provided a lot of good information and just life lessons for people. If someone, so. yeah, if someone has questions for you, or even is just interested in your, um, Abrehab program, where can they find you and your information? They can go to my website, arielhoffman.com. Uh, I am also on Instagram at wellxarielhoffman. That's the best place to find me and just get in touch via those uh, platforms. Those are the best. And we can talk about it. But yeah, I want to get people up and going and feeling good. It's most important. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today. This was really fun, Ariel. Well, thank you, Brianne. I had a great time. Thank you so much. Of course. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode of Highly Functional and had some great takeaways from it. Now, if you are dealing with your own foot and ankle issues and would love to get back to running and racing again, I highly encourage you to check out runwithhappyfeet.com to find out what it looks like to work with me. Or if you want to do things even faster and take a deep dive into your specific situation, then book a free call with me at runwithhappyfeet.com book dash call. And finally, if you know someone who would benefit from the information provided today, I would love for you to share this podcast with that person. Now go out and have an awesome day.